This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Flamethrowers. Lindsay here. I'm so excited to bring you this hot take featuring Joanna Hoffman and Anna Baith from Athlete Ally. Um, you'll hear me talk with Joanna first and then Anna about Athlete Ally's Athletic Equality Index, which launched last week. It is an assessment of LGBTQ inclusion policies and practices at NCAA uh, Division I athletic departments. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing about what the significance of this project is, the impact they hope it has, and, you know, how you even go about starting a project uh, that is this extensive and what they learned um, from working on it. So if you want to check out your school's uh, AEI, Athletic Equality Index, you can go to aei.athleteally.org. Joining me now is the great Joanna Hoffman, the Director of Communications with Athlete Ally. Joanna, thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's just talk. What is the Athlete Equality Index? And I know this is a project that Athlete Ally has done before. So my next question is, how does the 2021 version differ? Because I know it's a little bit more interactive and uh, extensive. Yeah, so we first launched the Athletic Equality Index, or we like to call it the AEI, uh, in 2017. We did an updated version in 2019. And then, uh, so those two versions were a comprehensive look at LGBTQ inclusion policies and practices at Power 5 schools. This time around, we wanted to go even further. So we expanded it threefold to look at all Division I schools. And rather than it being a you know, printed report. We really wanted this to be an interactive tool. So we decided to build a website, which has been an interesting experience, um, but I'm glad that it's done. And the idea there being that we wanted it to be really easy for people to search their school or their alma mater and be able to see exactly where their school either is or isn't kind of meeting these standards around LGBTQ inclusion and be able to spread the word and call on their school to take action. So what are the kind of top line findings here? Because um, they are not positive. <laughs> There's some disappointing numbers here. Let's just be real. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important because I think that, you know, I think that many of us, of course, were relieved that um, we, have a president now that believes that trans rights are human rights, and that's huge. But I think it's important to recognize that that doesn't make all of these 
um, issues go away. There's still a ton of work to be done, especially on college campuses. Um, and I think especially just looking at the fact that this is a record-breaking year for anti-trans athlete bills. And it's really, there's really um, a responsibility on schools to be modeling the kind of inclusion that we need to see in society as a whole. And as you said, what we have seen is, is we, we have seen some things that are promising and, and some things that are not great. And so I'll start with the things that are not great, which are that um, less than 3% of LGBTQ student athletes in D1 schools are in fully inclusive environments. And I should say that's beyond not great, that's horrible. Um, more than 90% of schools uh, don't have a fully inclusive trans athlete policy. And especially given, you know, what I just said about this being a record breaking year for state bills targeting trans athletes, that's just unacceptable, unconscionable. Um, you know, in really high numbers of schools don't have, don't even have fan codes of conduct um, or LGBTQ trainings that they're offering to their staff or their student athletes. And so, you know, those numbers are really staggering and they're upsetting. And I think they should be upsetting because the whole point is that we want people to be jarred into action here um, by seeing exactly where these schools are lacking. I mean, I, I think there's also good news in that, you know, there, there are schools scoring highly um, and scoring 100 that really, you know, are really diverse in what kind of budgets they have and how big they are. And I think that just goes to show that you don't have to be an enormous school with a huge budget to make these changes. Um, we had a, a story come out in Inside Higher Education where um, a, a faculty member told the reporter that a lot of the changes that bumped up their score took less than 30 minutes to make. It's really about you know making writing these policies and putting them up on the website so that they're publicly accessible. And you know there are there are changes that schools can be making that don't require a ton of um, resources or even time, but that make a huge difference in the lives of student athletes. There's a lot of intersectionality in this topic, and we discussed that a little bit more with um, Anna, who did the research on this, but I want to focus in with you on these trans uh, inclusion issues, because as you mentioned, we are at um, a crisis point, I believe, um, in, um, in you know the recognition of trans people as human beings and people using sports, uh, and particularly women's sports, as a way to um try to push trans people out of society altogether it seems so as you mentioned you know on the federal level uh things are getting better but on the state level um it's it's a non-stop onslaught um then again the ncaa does in theory have a trans inclusion policy so i guess my my question which is rambling is you know what role do the individual schools, what authority do they have when it comes to trans inclusion, while it seems others, the state levels and, and um, you know, conferences and the NCAA as a whole are still trying to um, figure their stuff out. Like, like, how can, is there a way to provide a safe space for trans athletes in today's environment? Yes, and I think that um, there, I think we have examples of what that can look like. Um, you know, on, on the homepage for the AEI, we share a video from uh, a high school wrestler uh, named Aaron Bucci Mooney who talks about 
what a difference it made for him to have a coach who respected his pronouns, who talked to the team about inclusion, who made, made it clear from day one that the team was going to be a safe and inclusive space. And that makes a huge difference, um, you know, especially in athletic environments, which, you know, as I know, you know, um, are historically um, uh, dominated by straight cis white men and who are making a lot of these decisions and who are setting, you know, setting a tone for what the culture of that team or that sport or environment is going to be. And so I think having a coach who not only, uh, not only says they're going to uphold inclusion, but actually, you know, walks the walk and makes that in a part of team culture that that goes such a long way. And I think beyond coaches, I mean, I think having policies that, you know, I, th I think obviously it's better to have a trans inclusion policy than none at all. But I think our ideal is, is one that really, um, that really emphasizes how important it is for trans student athletes to be able to participate based on their gender identity that doesn't set up these roadblocks in place for them. And that really keeps in mind this, you know, just this basic tenet that access to sport is a human right, that we all deserve to play the sports we love and that trans athletes do not have an inherent advantage. Um, and even though this wasn't the question you asked, just to say that it is, it is not only possible to champion girls and women's sports and to include trans athletes, but it's something we all should be doing. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. Is there anything I didn't ask that you want to point out about this work and this report and kind of um, maybe what the next steps are? Um, just that folks should, you know, whether you're a current student or you want to check out your alma mater score, you can do so at aei.athleteally.org. And if you're happy about your score, then celebrate that. And if you're not happy, let your school know and, and you know, speak out about the changes that you want to see. Joining me now is Anna Baith of The Athlete Ally. She is the research director there. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on getting out this athlete uh, equality index. I know it must have been an incredibly heavy lift. Uh, as the research director, um, when you're going into a project like this, where do you even, where do you begin? <laughs> Ooh, great question. Um, so admittedly, I started with Athlete Ally about two years ago. And I would say I was very familiar with women in sport. Um, I did my doctorate uh, at the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sport. Um, but I wasn't super familiar with the LGBTQ community and what um, LGBTQ justice looks like in collegiate sport in particular. So the way that we sort of have gone about this project um, we were really looking for a research endeavor that would give us more insight into what exactly was happening for LGBTQ student athletes in Division I sport. But we also wanted a project where we could really invoke some social change. So the way that we did that, essentially we looked through a bunch of research on different factors that influence LGBTQ student athletes. After doing that, we went through all of those factors and said, okay, so of all of these influencers, what is actually within the control of the athletic department? If we're talking about policies or practices, what can they do no matter the institution's size, budget, um, you know, location? 
And then we whittled it down to these eight different factors. After that, we then, uh, you know, had the really fun job of looking through every NCAA Division One athletic website to see whether these eight <laughs> factors um, were actually, you know, being met. So what are those eight factors? Yeah. So we have four policies and four practices. I am going to try and give you like the Twitter version, um, but we'll, we'll see how far I get. So uh, non-discrimination policy is the first one. We're looking for a non-discrimination statement. Then we're looking for a trans inclusion policy um, focused specifically on trans varsity student athletes. Then we look for a sexual misconduct policy and then a fan code of conduct. The four practices that we look for are LGBTQ educational resources. So whether the athletic department provides resources to their student athletes. This doesn't mean that the athletic department has to write those uh, resources, but that they do need to share them. We look for a partnership between the athletic department and the LGBTQ center on campus, or if there isn't an LGBTQ center, some sort of LGBTQ organization. And then finally, we look for a pro-LGBTQ inclusion training for athletic staff and a pro-LGBTQ training for athletes. That was very good. That was definitely the Twitter version. Um, you've got that down pat, so <laughs> good work there. Um, that helped a lot. When you're looking for these, was there anything that was um surprising to you maybe about the way that athletic departments you know, um present this information uh, how accessible it is uh, what it's like to navigate this website like i guess if you're putting yourself in the shoes of you know a prospective recruit or um you know a parent who wants to make sure that uh their child uh, is going to be safe yeah i mean perhaps unsurprising uh these details are not easy to find, yeah. right? I mean, and I think um, the bottom line is most athletic departments, at least in, so we also talk with, we try to communicate with every division one athletic department. And most athletic departments, when I talk to them say, well, we're inclusive, we have these policies, we do these things. I say, well, I can't, I can't find it anywhere. I mean, you might be doing it, but you're, it's not accessible. Right. And I think that's the biggest divide. Um, so I, I would say that's that's the biggest issue. Surpri uh, one surprising factor or I guess two, really. First, you know, the most prominent policy that we find is sexual harassment and sexual misconduct policies. This isn't really surprising because the NCAA in the last two years has mandated that every Division One institution educate their staff and athletes around sexual misconduct. But still, we're looking at less than 40% of schools who actually put that out to the world to say that we're doing this training. When it comes to trans inclusion, that's really where I think we see the, the biggest lift for these institutions. And again, it's sort of a, a similar policy in that the NCAA has guidelines for trans inclusion. And we know that every division one athletic department must abide by those guidelines to compete in a championship. And yet very, very few schools actually have a public facing trans inclusion policy. And I mean, especially with what's going on on the state level, um, you know, which we talk about on this podcast so much and 
Um, you know, we're going to discuss more with Joanna Harper, but it's so important. Like you think of the just importance of letting athletes know where you stand on this because everyone else is letting their opinion be known. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I, I think, you know, the bottom line is um, when it comes to trans inclusion policies in the United States, particularly for athletes, it is such um, sort of a, a motley landscape, right? So first of all, the federal policy is unclear, but also in addition to that, the way that the federal policies are enacted, particularly around Title IX, is it depends on the administration. So the way that Title IX was enacted under Obama was very different than how it was enacted under Trump is very different than how it's, we hope, going to be enacted under Biden. So that's problematic. But then, of course, you have these state level policies. And then on top of that, you have these institution policies. So our thinking is, hey, institutions, just bear the brunt of this stand up, stand up for these policies and protect your students, no matter where they live. Why was it important for you all to include fan codes of conduct in this? Yeah. So when you talk to sports fans, they will say the most homophobic space in sports is in the spectator stance. So even more than a men's locker room. I think for most of us, when you go to big time sports events, you hear comments, you know, whether it's homophobic, it's racist, it's sexist, whatever it might be. But we wanted to ensure that fans and student athletes and referees and coaches, et cetera, all felt comfortable during a competition. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important. What makes a good policy? And you're when you're researching, like what counts as an actual policy? Um, is there is there is that does that question even make sense? Like, how do you even kind of like define yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. So so <laughs> I looked at literally every NCAA policy and and excuse me every Division One policy. But what I would say makes a great policy is when an institution goes above and beyond just putting words on paper. And so what that most often looks like is consulting with student athletes, consulting with the community. And this is particularly true of trans inclusion policies. If you look at say, um, there, there are a couple I'll point to, Stanford, Loyola of Maryland, um, these institutions have great policies. And the reason that they have great policies is that they consulted with trans student athletes on what they needed in these policies. Mm, that's so important. Um, I have to say I was a little surprised looking at um, the leaderboard. Now, unlike past editions of the Athlete Equality Index, I know this is kind of um, a, you say a rolling um, summary, like you're giving, you, you wanna, I guess, um, be able to update it as schools change. Is that kind of the point of yep. it to make it open source? So in that, we don't necessarily have a list of, you know, the top 10 or anything like that. But, you know, you do note that there are only a handful of institutions who have a score of 100. Those are uh, Ohio State, Boston University, Kent State, 
University of Miami, uh, University of Southern California, um, University of Arizona, George Mason, uh, Univers University of California at Davis, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, uh, and the University of Pennsylvania. And then we have the conference overall with the highest AEI scores um, being um, the PAC-12. Um, of those schools we just mentioned and shouted out, um, what did, were the schools that had the most inclusive policies and the big, the doing the most work, was it easier to find that information for those schools? Like, could you tell via their website and just via the way they presented things that they prioritize this more heavily? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the biggest difference. So when we conducted the AEI in the past, we were really looking for policies and practices um, of any kind. So if an institution said to us, yeah, we follow the, the NCAA's trans inclusion policy, we would say, great, you get points. This year we said, no, that's, that's not enough. This needs to be accessible. Anybody needs to, to be able to find it. We want you to stand up and step up, step up as allies in this space. Um, and that's really the biggest difference in terms of the scoring. But I would say, um, you know, for each of those institutions, if you were to just Google the name of the school, athletics, LGBTQ, you are going to find something on how inclusive they are. That's the big difference. And I think often, um, you know, it depends on the institution on how they do that. But a couple of great examples, um, UPenn, Illinois, you can just look up their diversity and inclusion athletic sites and they will state directly where they stand on not just LGBTQ inclusion, but all forms of inclusion. Well, I guess, if there, are there any final thoughts or final kind of takeaways that you have from doing this research? Listen, I'm, you know, I'm a college coach. I believe that people can learn, evolve, grow, change, right? And I think we've seen it this year, um, particularly when it comes to some aspects of gender equity in NCAA Division I sport. I would love to see similar change when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion, at least via policies and practices of these departments. And it's entirely possible with the AEI anybody can do this. Um, now it's just time to make it happen. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you.